0: Welcome back, Devils fans, to Garden State of Hockey. My name's Dan, I'm joined by John, and we have our weekly recap today. Of course, it is the early week episode, and this week was kind of a strange one to go into as the Devils ended their West Coast swing road trip and uh, came back home to the New York area to play two games there. I guess one was on the road, but it barely feels like a road game anyway. But once again, I'm Dan, joined by John, and John... What did you think of the week the Devils just had?
1: It was a successful week. I mean, by definition, they took three wins out of four. The Devils have continued to prove that they are not among the very worst non-Detroit teams in the NHL. And they helped spoil our hated rivals. So, ultimately, it was a positive week. You can't really hate on it. No, absolutely.
0: You know, that weekend that they had where they beat Tampa and Washington back-to-back, I I think this weekend came close in terms of, you know— when you're talking back-to-back games, that was two of the best performances they've strung together all season long. So we'll get to that and kind of the in-depth numbers on those two performances. But let's start off with the end of the road trip. So it started off on Tuesday. or We start off our week on Tuesday when they took on the Golden Knights. And this was one of those games where they were simply outclassed in most yep. facets of the game. And Vegas has been on an insane possession bender since DeBoer took over, basically.
1: Yeah, we we've been saying for weeks that hey, March is going to be really tough, and this was going to be the first game that was going to show that out, and it we were right, Dan. This, <laughs> Las Vegas showed uh, that yeah, they're they're just superior to the Devils. Robin Leonard had a very easy shutout with twenty three assists. I'm sorry, twenty three saves. Blackwood did the best he could, but uh, you know, eventually, if you keep giving up the puck, you keep giving up possession, you keep giving up the zone, you're going to get burnt. They only needed. It happened once, and it happened three times, so the Devils left Las Vegas with a 3-0-L. Yeah, not a good look. It looked a lot
0: like the game that they played in St. Louis, where, again, they were just outclassed by the better team most of the night. They really couldn't put anything together in terms of a sustained offense, and it was a tough look, but I think... You know, Because it came at the end of a long road trip, there's some aspects of fatigue there as well. They had a lot of change in the roster as the trip went on with call-ups and um, people being sent down. But yeah, it was not a pretty game and not the best effort from the team. So you have to wonder, when they have the Stanley Cup champion Blues again at home last Friday, how they're going to respond to that. And really, they responded with one of their most positive efforts so far this season.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, the magic word for that game against St. Louis, Dan, is the word first, because I'm going to run down a bit bunch of firsts that happened at the Rock and not just because it was the first home game of March and the first game since the five game road trip and the first game at the Rock since the trade deadline. The following other firsts happened in this game, Dan. I'm just going to quickly run them down here. Jesper Bratt scored the first goal of the game, which is important for him since it was his 100th career point, and he took Colton Pareko's soul in the process. (laughs) Defenseman Dakota Mermis scored his first NHL goal, a floater that just found its way to the top corner past Jordan Bennington. And uh, that goal was later credited to a secondary assist for Corey Schneider, which is his first assist of the season and his first point in a regular season game since 2015. Um, in addition to that, late in the second period, Frederick Clayson, not quite the hero yet, <laughs> sent D pass to Connor Carrick and Connor Carrick scored his first goal of the season and Clayson got his first primary assist and point with the New Jersey Devils and put the Devils up two goals for their first two-goal lead since Anaheim. And then Near the end of the game, Blues pull their goalie. Pavel Zaka gets an opportunity to clear it out past Pareko, who failed again. Sent it across to Pavel Zaka. I'm sorry, Zaka crossed the blue line and then sent it across to Joey Anderson, who scored an empty net goal, which is Anderson's first empty netter of the season and the first empty net goal for the Devils since January 12th against Tampa Bay. That sealed up the first home win since March 25th, 2019 for Corey Schneider. That was the first win, first loss for the St. Louis Blues since February 16th because they were on an eight-game winning streak. And most of all, Dan, that 4-2 win over St. Louis was the Devils' very first win against St. Louis since January 21st, 2014, which was a 7-1 blowout amid a winter storm at the Rock that drew like maybe 5,000 people to the stands, and the Devils just creamed the Blues. Ever since then, the Blues have dominated the Devils, but Friday was different. It was a night of firsts, and it was wonderful.
0: Yeah, so this season continues to be weird in the fact that the Devils have ended long winless streaks against teams like San Jose, teams like Winnipeg, teams like Columbus, mm-hmm. and now St. Louis as well. And it's it's strange that this season they've done that against those teams and really been mediocre against pretty much everyone else.
1: But And what's, and what's even more strange, Dan, is that... One, not as only St. Louis, like the top team in the Western Conference, the Devils actually played well in five on five against them. Like they hung with this team, like a superior St. Louis team. How many times this season have you seen the Devils get a W because Blackwood or Schneider just played out of their minds and the Devils just get some timely goals and hold on for dear life for most of the game? Like, no, this was like a well, even evenly played game against one of the best teams of the Western Conference. The Devils played a legitimately good game and deserved a 4-2 win. It's remarkable. Yeah, and it
0: still wasn't a sure thing anyway, because the the chasm of talent between the two teams is such that the Devils were leading pretty much most of the game, hanging with them, as you said, and it still was close enough that they needed to have the relief of the empty net goal. It it looked pretty much like, okay, St. Louis scores late to kind of draw it close, but hopefully now the Devils can you know lock it down, and they locked it down at this point in the season way better than they did in the first, what, three or four months, so... Kudos to them finally figuring out how to maintain a lead in the third period.
1: Yes. Uh, however, there was one disappointment in the game, Dan. What was that? And I think we need to mention this because otherwise we will forget it. Kevin Rooney scored the sickest oh. goal he ever scored in his entire life, but it did not count. Yeah. Let me set this for everybody. Second period, it's short. I think it's the shift right after Carrick's goal. Kevin Rooney pulled a power move to get past NHL defenseman Robert Bortuzzo. He cut across the top of the crease like he was Miles Wood with hands. He spun around and put put a backhander while spinning through the five-hole of Binnington. The crowd and myself just went crazy. Unfortunately, it wasn't legal. For you see, St. Louis challenged this awesome-looking goal, and they were right to do so. Because the reason why Rooney was able to score five-hole five on Binnington was because as he was cutting across the crease... His right skate pulled apart the right pad of Bennington to open up his legs an extra foot or two. So this way, you know, you could have drove a car through Bennington's legs into the net.
0: Yeah, that was for sure one of the most satisfying things I've seen. And I kind of tried to catch the number right away to see who did it. And I saw Rooney. I was like, wow, he's never going to score like that. Ever again in his life, or he's just nope. becoming Blake Coleman very slowly. One of those two things was true, and it did not count. And understandably so. I mean, it was it was obvious that his skate had moved Bennington's pads out of the way. So unfortunate that that didn't stick. But it was it, it was a testament to how much they were producing in that game that uh, you know Rooney was getting opportunities. That a bunch of the players up and down the lineup were were actually seeing some luck at five on five. So. You know, yeah. still overall a good an unfortunate result, but overall a great game. Uh, unfortunate result for Rooney, that is. Great result for the Devils and of a course. great uh, team game all around. And so you wonder the next day, which is super important given the fact that the opponent is the New York Rangers who are very much pushing for a playoff spot. This is one that they'd love to spoil. They'd love to come in. They're coming off a back-to-back and they go out there and
1: no defense was played in this game at all. Now, I wouldn't say that there was plenty of defense in this game. It didn't happen for the first two periods, but there was defense in this game. and surprisingly enough, it came from the Devils. So excuse me there. So the Devils went into the world's most overrated arena. And I thought we were going to see a repeat of so many games this season after that first period. Well, the run of play was actually pretty even. Two goals allowed off of two shooters who were wide open in front of the net in the slot. The one part of the ice that you should be defending above all else, you know, leaving Philip Schittle, Chitel, Kittle, I wasn't going to get it, <laughs> and Mika <Niki> Sabanajad, <laughs> who, was coming off a full, who was coming off a five-goal game. You know, just, just leave him there. Leave him in the slot. You don't have to cover him. They predictably scored. And thanks to Igor Shosturkin leaving the right post open just enough for Palmieri to make him look like an idiot uh, with a sharp angle shot, it was a 1-2 deficit. But you're were th- you were thinking to yourself, I was thinking to myself, all right, we already see the Devils blow it on defense. And Mackenzie Blackwood had to make quite a few saves with wide open Rangers right in front of him. This is not going to go well. And then I was proven wrong, Dan. And I loved being wrong. <laughs>
0: that second I period loved... was one of the best all season.
1: In this second period, not only did we get to see a quick answer to the deficit from Kyle Palmieri, a rebound goal that was created in part by a shot by Dakota Mermis and a rebound attempt by Miles Wood. Uh, The broadcast made a very big deal about how Shesterkin struggles with uh, bodies in front of him. And oh, the devils took advantage of that in this period. Palmieri and Wood caused the chaos. Palmieri cashed in two shifts later, Nikita Gusev is leading a rush up ice and he tosses a wonderful backwards lateral pass to the slowest New Jersey Devils on the roster in Frederick Clayson. Nobody is around Frederick Clayson. If you remember John Hayden's goal against Chicago, it was very much like this. And Clayson fired a 40-foot wrist shot unscreened. Yeah. Past Shisterkin's glove. 3-2 New Jersey. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't care about the draft. I don't care about the lottery routes. I don't care. Frederick Clayson scored a goal against our hated rivals. Win this game at any cost. And then we had some struggles. Took some penalties. Okay, McClaw took one penalty, not some penalties. <laughs> but still, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, not to the devil's favor. You know, the Blackwood had to make a lot of tough uh, saves on guys wide open in front. But the devils gave as much as they took in that period. And eventually, they hit home again. Adam Fox took the only penalty of the game for our hated rival stand. And the Devils made him pay. Nico Heischer set up Travis Zajac for a high tip in the slot. Pass a screen set by Jack Hughes. A screen, Dan, set by Jack Hughes, who is, what, six foot tall, 175 pounds, soaking wet? Right. Shesterkin was like, oh, I can't handle this. The, the tip beats him clean. It's 4-2. Next shift. Fourth liner. Dump in. Can't clear the zone because Severson keeps it in. Fires it on that. Who's in the most perfect place? The guy I dogged at a post on Friday. <laughs> yeah. John Hayden with a deflection. It's 5-2, and you could hear a pin drop at the world's most overrated arena. I was going nuts in my basement. I'm sure you were going nuts in your locale. The devil fans all around the world were were just enthused that devils were up 5-2 over our hated rivals. They were looking solid as they were doing it. And you know what's even better, Dan? What's they that? They pulled Shep for Longfist in the third period. And then the Devils proceeded to just basically keep the Rangers from doing much of anything. After conceding 26 shots in the first two periods, they held the ra- our hated rivals to nine, just nine shots. Like, with this defense, Dan, with Frederick Clayson and Connor Carrick as a pairing, nine shots. With our hated rivals having something to play for, getting embarrassed at home, nine shots. And yes, they got a fortunate deflection 13 minutes in by Grant McKaig. So what? Greg McKaig. It, Whatever, he's not important. He's on our he's on our rivals <laughs> team. I don't care about getting his name right. Okay. Anyway, you know they try to pull they, they pulled the goalie. Adam Fox commits a wonderful giveaway to Zajac. He should have been given an assist on this empty net goal by Zajac. That goal made Zajac the fourth all time leading Devil in goals, surpassing uh, Zach Parise. Now he's just behind Bobby Holik, John McClain, and Patrick Elias respectively. Yeah, Tony Tony D got a lucky break on Connor Carrick's skate to make it six four, but. The Devils cruised to a win over our hated rivals. They kept our hated rivals to a relative minimum. Blackwood did not need to stand on his head once the Devils were up five to two. It was remarkable. I savor this type of win, Dan. I enjoy it. It's like a juicy orange on a warm summer day. So I don't care what the season's like. I don't care what the long-term ramifications are. I don't care. This is why rivalries are so satisfying when your team wins them, because when you do beat them, it just feels so good. I loved it, Dan. I loved it.
0: Yeah, this one felt great, and it came at a crucial time, too. I mean, not a crucial time for New Jersey, obviously, and I know what Steve Cangelosi said at the end of the game. It's not happening, but—
1: it's yeah, a, we addressed that question on Friday. Right, on Saturday, so. right.
0: Like, don't don't get your hopes up too much, but it's a crucial time for them. And this is maybe the most satisfying result all season besides that 5 nothing win in Philly. That one was pretty good, too. That also came at a tough time for them, but they've kind of picked it up as of late. So, you know, th- they're... They're comfortably in. It's the Rangers. It's the the rest of the Metropolitan that's fighting for those wild card spots. And even the Islanders have dropped out of the top three after being there most of the season, and are now in the wild card mix as well. So it's going to get interesting down the stretch, in particular for this team that is only looking to spoil people. They're playing with house money essentially at this point, trying to develop everyone and get good looks at the next set of prospects that's going to come up. And Yanni Kuokkanen was called up, but he hasn't gotten in a game just yet.
1: No, he was actually called up before the game against our hated rivals. He he took the skate before the game, but he, he wasn't activated, and then he was returned to Binghamton, but not in time for him to play in Binghamton, and then they called him back up. <laughs> so he had but, a couple hey, of road practice trips. on Monday. Yeah, he, pra- he had a practice on Monday, so he got to get a little sweat going. But uh, it's remarkable because Binghamton has been hot, Dan. Mm-hmm. They they continue to win. They swept another three three game weekend. They're In a playoff spot, Zane McIntyre is playing way better than anybody expected. I believe a B-Devil is the AHL Player of the Week, Dan. Would you like to tell us more about that?
0: That's right. It's Ryan Schmelzer, who had six points this weekend in that 3-3 and uh, scenario. And that's a big win for the organization, because that's not someone people talk about pretty often. You have your, your set AHL players and so on and so forth. But it's been a while since anyone from Binghamton has gotten that honor, so congratulations to him congratulations to the binghamton devils who now have what
1: six straight wins that's right and they are in a much more favorable position to keep going granted as we've seen with our hated rivals what philadelphia is about to experience very soon is that it's one thing to get a hot streak it's another thing to maintain the good after having the hot streak Mm -hmm. but if the but the binghamton devils are in the right position it's better to be in a position to set yourself up for future success as opposed to needing to get hot to obtain that success. So credit to them that they're in this position, and I hope they keep on going. Keep keep on winning, keep on getting points, and never stop fighting. You're playing for something. Go for it.
0: It would be interesting to see from like a strategic perspective what exactly changed, and it seems like a lot of it coincides with the turnover of the coaching staff in New Jersey it seems like they've abandoned whatever system has been going on and they completely changed up how they're utilizing the players in Binghamton. And really, you know, credit to the players themselves for actually playing well within whatever system they were given. Now, I think something has to have changed that set off this run, and it wasn't just, you know, hot goaltending, even though that helped. It wasn't just a streak by one player or another. It seems like everyone down there is contributing, no matter who they call up to New Jersey.
1: Exactly. And there has been a number of different call ups because of injury, because of the trades. I mean, as we're talking right now, Frederick Clayson was held out of practice due to a lower body injury. So do not be surprised if we see a defenseman called up on Tuesday before the Pittsburgh game that uh, and, you know, that's another player from Binghamton. Like, yeah, they may not be playing right now, per se, but, you know, that's somebody who may not be available for a practice or a video session or a team event or something like that. So it credit to Binghamton for staying as resilient as they are as New Jersey is, you know, they've had Michael McLeod for a while. They've been yo-yoing Yanni Kwakadin for the past couple of days, Dakota Mermis and Clayson and Anderson. Thank you. Uh, Anderson, you know, they've been mainstays for the better part of the last uh, month and a half. Yeah. Boakvist was, well, Smokevist was sent down. Yeah. He got, came up briefly, but now he's back with Binghamton where he probably should be, you know, scoring goals, making plays and all that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, credit to the staff down there for holding it together and keeping everybody focused, even with some important names coming in and out of the lineup as needed. Um, You know, once April 4th, uh, happens i think they're going to get an influx of a couple of these players not so much the top guys but like the anderson's murmuses uh you know mccloud you know that should definitely be a big 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 boost you know once the new jersey season is done and that should help put binghamton hopefully get over the top and secure that playoff spot and maybe even get a favorable matchup in their first round
0: and before anyone asks no they will not be sending jack hughes down to binghamton at any point
1: no no, not not Hughes, not Heischer, not Brat. Yeah, like it's just not. Are, happening. Those guys in New Jersey, guys, they're NHLers.
0: I understand the logic of, you know, maybe get him some more game experience against guys that are bigger than him, maybe in a less high leverage situation. But it's it's just not worth it. The whole, you know, mixed blessing of this situation is that he does get more offseason time to train because jack hughes as the number one pick was being whipped around the country you know on any sort of media tour it was a bizarre off season for him in terms of training and now he just gets to focus he knows where he is he knows what he has to do and what he has to improve upon and he gets extra time to do it and kind of fit in a break after what i'm sure is a very long season for an 18 year old
1: absolutely now speaking of 18 year olds dan oh boy
0: that's a okay, crazy that's, that's segue. A, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's,
1: a, that's a spicy one. Um, so word has come out. Uh, Corey Pronman of The Athletic uh, apparently believes that uh, he initially came out that early in April, shortly after the season ends, is we're going to get the 2020 draft lottery. And currently it's it's currently set for April 9th, which is going to be exactly a month from when we're recording this. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Thursday night. So that's a perfect opportunity to talk about picks.
0: All right. You see,
1: we're not just concerned about what the Devils are doing. We should pay a little attention to what Arizona and Vancouver are doing as the Devils own their conditional first-round picks. So here's here's a fun fact, Dan. The Devils, as we're talking right now, have 68 points in 68 games, and they sit 25th in the league. Arizona has played one more game than the Devils, and they're actually going to be two games up on the Devils because they're playing right now and, oh, yeah, losing. Uh, They have 74 points. There is a possibility. (laughs) Not a a high one, but there is a possibility the Devils could surpass Arizona in the standings. Yeah. (laughs) If the Devils keep on doing what they're doing and Arizona continues to flounder and flounder and flounder. As of this recording, currently the Devils hold the seventh overall pick provided nobody wins a lottery or – the top three teams win the lottery, rather, yep. and Arizona is tenth overall. And as much as I can already have seen and hear Devil fans griping about you know meaningless wins over St. Louis, Anaheim, and our hated rivals, the fact of the matter is, if you end up in this particular draft class with seven and ten, you're going to be a very happy person. That could be Cole Perfetti and Yaroslav Askarov. That could be Anton Lundell and Jamie Drysdale. That could be you know Marco Rossi and and anton lundell there's a lot of different ways this draft can go but if you're picking in the top 10 or top 11 in this draft you should be happy and if you have two picks in that in that area you should be very happy so that's where we stand with arizona um as long as they don't win a lottery the devils have their pick as for vancouver they continue to be a playoff team and that's important because the devils will only get that pick this year if they're in the playoffs they are barely holding on to the second wild card spot in the west i'm sorry If you thought the wild card in the East was tight, it's just as tight in the West as well. Because right now, as we're talking, Minnesota has the first spot at 77 points. Vancouver has the second spot at 76 points. Nashville has just as many points and games played as Vancouver, as we're recording this, as does Winnipeg, even though they're about to move up since they're beating Arizona and Arizona, as much as the Devils could catch them, they have 74 points. They're not really out of the wild card picture just yet. That's five teams. And I didn't even bring up Calgary being at 79 points in the Pacific. So, you know, Vancouver needs to keep doing well. It's not guaranteed by any means, but again, we should want the We should want for the sake of this year's draft Vancouver to make the playoffs and then get crushed in the first round yeah that's the ideal situation if you want a pick in the 16 to 21 range which wouldn't be a bad thing to have whether or not that's a trade chip for more picks in the second round or a player or you know possibly moving up higher in the draft it's better to have three first rounders this year then potentially two first-rounders this year and two first-rounders next year, especially since Vancouver might be getting better as a hockey team. So that unprotected pick may not be that valuable next year.
0: Yeah, and what's important to note is that Vancouver's lost, I think, five of six as well. They This is a recent downturn that they've had that's let everyone else catch up to them as well. And it's it continues the trend of any team that's traded with the Devils this year being – absolutely cursed since that trade i think every single oh, yeah. team the devils have made a trade with this season has had a losing record since making that trade except tampa bay i'm not sure about tampa
1: i don't know tampa bay's four five and one in their last ten they haven't exactly uh you know been running the league as they were prior to acquiring coleman yeah so but again that's another case i think of hot streaks got to end and sometimes they end brutally um, oh, as and... pittsburgh found out and are currently living right now and as the Islanders are finding out, and the and our hated rivals are finding out.
0: Yeah, I'm by no means saying that it's a cause and effect kind of thing, but it's an interesting coincidence that this oh, environment yeah. and team that was so seemingly, you know, allergic to wins has spread that allergy across the league.
1: You hate to see it, Dan. You really. However, I will I will say there is a bit of satisfaction in that <laughs> Wayne Simmons yes. waived his partial no trade clause to go to a Buffalo team that put a condition on this pick saying, hey, we are going to make the playoffs, and the Devils just passed them in the standings. Yeah, I don't know what they were
0: thinking with that one, and really, nor did anyone else at the time. And they were buried pretty quickly after making that trade, so I don't know. He probably did it for reasons other than he thought they were going to make the playoffs, to be honest with you, but it's really, really satisfying. You're right. And if they pass Arizona, I'll be so satisfied
1: this year. (laughs) Right. But, you know, for the for that to happen, Dan, the Devils have to take care of business themselves. And this week starts a really tough run of, of the, their next seven games. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, I'd like to run through what the Devils are going to face uh, in this coming week up until our next episode, mm-hmm. which will be recorded on the 16th. Yep. Go ahead. OK, so on Tuesday, the Devils will host the pittsburgh penguins the pittsburgh penguins are coming into this game coming off a 2-6 loss to carolina and while you may think the pittsburgh penguins may be very angry about that and take it out on new jersey keep in mind they're also two and eight in their last 10 games and have dropped games to teams worse than carolina so yeah the devils could spoil pittsburgh and really open up that wild card race in the east to include pittsburgh which would just be you know chaotic speaking of the wild card race the Devils will be hosting Carolina on Thursday and really get a chance to play spoilers since Carolina has finally won a game. <laughs> you know, they haven't been doing a lot of that. Um, you know, they have games in hand on most of the rest of the uh, other wild card teams, but if you don't win those games in hand, it doesn't matter. So the Devils could take the Canes down a peg or two and uh, make that wild card race even more chaotic. And then on Saturday and Sunday, the Devils are going south to the Sunshine State. They are going to be visiting Florida and Tampa Bay back-to-back. The Florida game is going to be real interesting because even though Florida is kind of far back in the wild card race with respect to the two wild card teams, they're only currently three points back at Toronto, and they have a game in hand on them. And that third-place team in the Atlantic is on an automatic playoff, playoff team. So Florida still has very much something to play for. And if they can start getting hot now while Toronto is kind of spinning their wheels, that could be... Wonderful! If only for the amount of salt it would generate in Ontario. However, what that also means is that the Devils can spoil Florida and get a lot of love from Toronto fans uh, on the internet. Because as you know, there's nothing more valuable than getting likes on the internet. <laughs> of course. And now, this this uh, the last game that will be played before our next recording will be in Tampa Bay on the 15th. We we will get to see Blake Coleman not score goals, maybe, possibly. He hasn't been doing a lot of that for Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay, I'm sure... Would, their their playoff spot is actually very secure. You could argue that Tampa Bay does not really need this game on Sunday. Like They're six points back at Boston. They're way ahead of Toronto. They're not really at risk of losing their spot. They're pretty much locked into being second in the Atlantic. But hey, who wants to lose at home to the New Jersey Devils? So Tampa Bay may show up for this one. If not, the Devils can have another fun fun time against Tampa Bay. And hey, maybe we're talking about another winning record by our next recording.
0: Yeah, and this is also important to know that they've reached NHL 500 for the first time all season. Crazy that we're here saying that now, but they're 28-28-12. and 12.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't mean much since only six teams in the league are below it.
0: That's what I'm saying, though. It's crazy that after the hole they dug for themselves, that this True. recent stretch yeah. has led to that in particular. And as they go down, as teams see them beat teams like the Blues, the Rangers, um, you know, the Capitals, they might not as opposed to earlier in the season when they were almost a walkover, it's going to be a little different of an approach from these teams, I'm guessing, because hopefully the Devils can establish that they are a tough team to play against. They are not not just going to be a walkover. And while the results may not impact this year directly, it's it's going to set up the kids to be addressed that way in the future. And I want to make that point about you know what people are saying about winning meaningless games. If you look at what they're doing on the ice after the game, if you look how they're celebrating celebrating Schneider, celebrating Blackwood, celebrating the guys who scored their first goals for the team, they're clearly not meaningless to those players. So like, it's important that the mood in the locker room changes significantly. No one wants to tank for a full season, and I know they certainly don't want to be the Detroit Red Wings this year. I'm sure it's miserable in there. So that being said, you say meaningless, and they might be meaningless in terms of overall standings points and you know may hurt the draft chances but they're not meaningless to them and that's something that is important going forward that they learn that you know winning these games when they are impactful on the standings will be even better but as good as it feels now to spoil teams it'll feel even better when they're part of the race themselves
1: and hopefully we can start seeing more strides for that next season with a new gm a new coach some new players and a new approach to the game we all love in the National Hockey League.
0: All right, so that's been our recap for this week in games. We'll join you again this weekend for a off-the-wall episode like last time, but thanks again for listening, and let's go Devils. Let's uh, see them through this tough stretch and maybe rack up some wins. I know we said three or four going into the stretch, and they look poised to beat that already, so my yep. fingers are crossed. <laughs> they, they're, already,
1: they're already at three wins in March, which is on pace for way better than you and I expected, so... Hey, I don't mind looking wrong. Do you?
0: No, not at all. I mean, should we have had more faith? I don't know, but we didn't. So uh, now we're paying for that, and that's okay with me. So again, thanks for listening. Let's keep cheering on the boys, and also catch some Binghamton games if you're interested to see what the future might look like. Absolutely. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Have a great rest of your day.